0: Our first message this afternoon is from Mr. Curtis Whiteley. It's entitled, Following Christ, Free but Expensive. Curtis. Good afternoon. It's wonderful to see everyone here today on this uh, relatively, I guess you would say, toasty uh, Sabbath day comparable to what we've been, been having the past few weeks. Well, as Ron just mentioned, the title of my message today is Following Christ, Free but Expensive. Now That kind of might sound like a contradiction. This message today I hope to be kind of a series that in the next year or so I'm going to develop about the topic of following Christ and discipleship. Today we are going to take a look at some words that Jesus had to say on an occasion, particularly to a group of people who weren't quite committed to following after Him. You know, most of the things that we see Jesus say in the Gospels, most often are actually directed at His disciples, the ones in whom He has chosen among men. But there are a few occasions where Jesus actually looks around and sees that there's this Honorage of people following after him. You know, some of them did it, and we're going to see this here in a minute. They just maybe they heard about this man Jesus. They heard about the things that he was doing. They heard about maybe some of his miracles. But they weren't quite committed and they didn't quite understand exactly what it was going to cost them to follow after Jesus' footsteps. Now it's true, we know from the scriptures that salvation is a free gift. There's nothing that any one of us can do to earn our salvation. It is completely free. Salvation has to be free for it to be possible because none of us are worthy of it. Every single one of us has committed sin and has trespassed against God's righteous and glorious standard. But when it comes to actually following Jesus, this is a very expensive endeavor. And I'm not just talking about, you know, it's going to cost you a little of this. Obviously, it has nothing to do with your possessions, or at least you're not giving your possessions away in exchange for like a ticket to discipleship or a following ticket to Jesus. But it's going to cost everything you have. In fact, you won't own anything whatsoever once you go down this road. And Jesus has some things to say about this. And one of the things that was prompting him to say this was because of so many of the followers that he knew in his heart were not completely aware of what it was going to take to follow him. You know, I think we can see this today in our own society. I mean, we live in the most westernized country in the world. We live in a country that pretty much, not just a country, but us specifically, we live in a state where we can drive down the road, we can probably on the way to church, if you live in Bixby where I do, which is about a 20 minute drive, probably can see about 10 to 15, maybe 20 marquees from churches with different slogans. We can see all types of events going on. We can hear people talk, and in our culture, I think that there's a great word that can be used. And I saw someone say this the other day, and I was—and I'm not taking credit for it, but I am—I I, I believe that it was correct. American Christianity—the one word to describe it is superficial. Superficial. A lot of people, and this isn't to condemn, this is just to bring out the fact that we live in a country with all the luxuries that we have, and sometimes I think it's actually more difficult to live in America and be a genuine follower of Christ than to live in other countries that even might have actual trials for following Christ, and here's why. We can underestimate the power That it is to live in a society with so many luxuries and temptations. I mean, I don't know about you, but how many times have you had to flee for your life for the name of Christ? Probably not that many. The prescription and the the testimony that we see in scriptures, this was a common occurrence. In other parts of the world, we see that this is the case. Sometimes living in a culture that we live in today makes it more difficult to rely on Jesus. To rely on God the Father. As opposed to living maybe in a culture or society where you are literally running for your life all the time because of Christ. You are forced to rely on God. The passage that we're going to look at today is in Luke, the 14th chapter. Jesus has four things to say about those who are true disciples. Those who are truly going to commit to following after Jesus have to consider these four things. You know, most people in here are probably baptized, and we've went through these scriptures, and these scriptures aren't just for people who aren't baptized or aren't followers of Christ, but they're also for the converted, the ones who have committed, because it's still the scriptures and it's still a great reminder of the things that Christ expects from those who follow us. Matthew, the 14th chapter, beginning up in verse 25. I'm just going to read verse 25 through 33. Jesus says, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. The first point I want to look at is that a disciple of Christ is someone who is willing to prioritize his relationship to Christ ahead of all other relationships. That first passage in Luke 14 verse 26 is no doubt a pretty, Radical and unbelievable statement, especially if taken literally in the 21st century. Jesus says that if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now we just have to kind of consider the background. As I mentioned in the introduction, the audience of Jesus is a little bit different than the usual audience. It's not just talking to his disciples, but he's looking at these great crowds, these great multitudes, these people. And in this context, Jesus is actually turning to them and using this as an occasion to tell them what it was going to cost for them to follow after him. You know, some of these people might have just been following Jesus out of curiosity. They had heard about him, maybe some of the things that he had said, maybe they were... Actually acting like they were followers of Christ, but really it was just maybe a status thing. Yeah, you know that new thing going on over there, that Jesus guy, yeah, I follow him. But it was more superficial. It wasn't actually a genuine transformational following after of Jesus. Some were just maybe interested in what he had to say, and they wanted to see maybe one of his miracles. Some might have just been observers. But nevertheless, Jesus says something pretty radical that probably got their attention, as it would anyone reading this verse for the first time. Jesus says that you have to hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters. And this is a radical statement. And it only seems to contradict the things that Jesus had previously said. In this same gospel, in Luke 6, verse 27 through 28, Jesus taught his disciples that not only are you to love Everybody, but you're even to love your enemies and not hate them. Matthew 5, on the Sermon on the Mount, we have probably read this scripture so many times when Jesus is presenting the, the spiritual intent of the law. And he actually says, or you know, talking about being angry with your brother, having hate, associating hate with your brother as a breach of the sixth commandment, of the commandment about murdering. And in fact, Malachi 4, verse 6, if you were to go back and look at some of the prophecies about the Messiah coming, it actually says in Malachi 4, 6, And he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. So we see that Jesus, in other passages, teaches against hate, and even the prophecies show that he will come to restore the relationships between families. So we have to ask the question, what is it that Jesus meant here? We have to understand that this is a relative phrase that Jesus is using. Something that they would understand in this context, in this setting. As the New English Translation Bible mentions in a textual note on this passage, this figurative use operates on a relative scale. God is to be loved more than family or self. In fact, literally, it would be taken as love less your father or your mother or your wife or your children or your loved ones in comparison to God above. The key to understanding this passage is in Matthew 10, verse 37, which is a parallel passage to this very same scripture, which reads, He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus is not saying that we are literally to hate anyone, of course. We love our children. We love our families. We love our friends, our loved ones. But what he is saying is that when we compare, when we compare the love we have for God with the love that we have for our fellow loved ones, that our love for God is so strong, our love for God is so overwhelming. That when we compare it to the love we have for our loved ones, the love we have for our loved ones is almost like hate. Because we love God on such a higher scale. And this is a difficult thing. This is a very difficult thing. There's many examples we can look at of people displaying this characteristic. You know, we can see many men and women in the scriptures that had hearts after God that were willing to display their love for God through their obedience of God over their love for their loved ones. Of course, Jesus Christ himself is the greatest example. But one particular example that's always struck a chord with me, I'm going to show you a video clip on. I think many of you will also agree with me that this monumental example in the Scriptures is something that is extremely moving and I think is a great example of someone who put their love for God over their love for their family. Let's show this. Abraham take a lamb. No, mistress. must trust in God. Sacrifice. Oh my, boy, my, boy, my, my, my. <laughs> Abraham has passed the ultimate test. He will become the father of God's nation. Now it's up to Isaac. He will have a son called Jacob. God will rename him Israel. The promise of descendants as numerous as the stars is coming true. hadn't seen that clip, that was from the History Channel's series on the Bible, and uh, obviously it's a reenactment, and uh, we don't know exactly what it was like, uh, but we can imagine, and I was thinking about this story several months ago in relation to discipleship, you know, we always think of the disciples as disciples, the apostles, the ones, Matthew, John, But Abraham himself was a disciple of God. Someone who laid down... I mean, just think about the things he gave up. Living in Mesopotamia back in the 2000 year BC, whatever year it was, in this land of Ur, this land that he knew, everything, and then giving that up. Having God come and tell him to leave everything that he knew And to go to this new land called Canaan. And not only that, that God gave him these promises. These promises of descendants. This promise that this old-aged man with an old-aged wife. And he, he believed. He believed that God would do it. He believed that God would bring him a son. And he did. And then God asked him to do the unthinkable and I don't know about you we I mean obviously the the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is unparalleled with any example we have in the scriptures but for me and I think for many of us another story in the Bible that is very touching because we know that Christ was actually even involved in this occasion That Abraham was asked to sacrifice that one son of promise. And he did it. He went through with it. Of course we know that this confirmed for God the the place and the plans that he had for Abraham. And we know that this obedience, we see the blessing that it brought. Me and you and everyone in here. Through this act of obedience... God has been able to bring the blessing of Christ to all of us. Because right here we see that substitute, that you know, that substitute that, that idea of a atonement, that God would provide a sacrifice. We see that there's a great blessing in loving God over our family. Which means that when we compare it to the love we have for God, it almost seems like hate. Moving on now, the second point that we want to look at is that a disciple of Christ is someone who is willing to deny himself and take up his own cross. In fact, Luke 14 verse 27 says, And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Here Jesus is referring to that identification, that public identification that we have with Jesus. And in this life, even in America... That identification with Christ brings several things. And we don't just identify ourselves that we're a Christian, but we identify ourselves with walking in the footsteps of Christ. And there's a lot of ideas that can be brought about by the, the terminology bearing our own cross. Bearing our own cross. Rejection and ridicule from society and culture. Loss and damage relationships of friends and family. Persecution and trials, and obviously all of these things Christ himself went through, but also the apostles after him in the book of Acts gives us the description of what they had to go through as they traveled that same terrain that Jesus said that they would have to travel. That rough path, that difficulties that it would bring, that the ways of Christ and the ways of God is not in line with the world that we live in which therefore makes it difficult in this life. You know, as we saw in the example of Christ, when we watch Him being actually crucified, we know that in Roman crucifixion in this time period, it was a common practice to require that prisoner who was being led to His execution to bear that instrument of death. And we see that in Jesus' own crucifixion. And I think it's interesting because Jesus says, bear his own cross. That brings a new element. Everyone in, a, any, everyone in here has our own cross to bear. My cross might manifest itself in different ways in which your cross identify, or manifests itself. We go through different things when we live in this life. Are they similar? Can they be similar? Of course. But the trials might be a little different. The ridicule might be a little different. The persecution might be a little different. But we have to bear our own cross as we follow after Jesus. The next point that Jesus makes, moving on to number three, is that a disciple of Christ is someone who seriously counts the cost of following Christ. And Jesus gives two parables right here. He gives a parable of the foolish builder and a parable of an unwise king. In verse 28 it says, For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able, with 10,000, to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else... While the other is still a great way off. He sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. And these two parables pretty much say the same thing. They illustrate the perpetual nature of being a disciple of Christ. It's not a phase that someone goes through. It's not just something you do for a little while and then you, you, know, you move on to something else. But it's actually a permanent decision one makes. And in the midst of this, these great crowds, they would have understood exactly what Jesus was saying. No king would ever go to war with somebody without seriously setting down and trying to figure out what it would take. And whether or not he had the necessary resources. Enough men to fight, comparable to enough or to, to be able to go against the army he's going against. Same thing with the builder. And we can see this today. I'm not a builder myself, but it just goes to show, and it's common sense, that any genuine, truly respectable builder, whether it be a builder of a house or a, or a building or anything, would set down first and draw up a blueprint, a plan, a plan of action. They would compute, as the scriptures say, that word count, is actually the idea of calculate or compute the resources it would take to be able to finish, to be able to finish this, this project. The result of not doing so would be running the risk of bringing shame upon both the builder and the wise or unwise king. Both of them, if it was a builder who set out without having a course of action and computing or calculating the cost it would take to build whatever structure it was, If they started and they didn't have enough resources, they would have to stop, and that building would be a monument of this person's foolishness. The same thing with a king, a king who is set to go to war with another king or another country or another nation that doesn't consider the cost that would take to be able to do such a thing. What would take place is, is that king having to ask for, as Christ said, conditions of peace. And he might bring unwarranted or unnecessary harm to his kingdom or his nation. And he will also ruin his reputation. The result of this would be them both being the subject of ridicule and joking. As the scripture says, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. I think it's a very interesting point that Jesus kind of brought in the idea of a king going to fight in battle. And you may think, you know, that's not like what what it's like to be a Christian. But it is. As I'm loosely paraphrasing from a book entitled Absolutely Free by a man named Zane Hodges, Discipleship to Jesus is not an invitation to a picnic. It is an invitation to spiritual war. Too often, the idea of being a Christian is associated with this this great life that's just, you know, wonderful. It's a picnic every day and we just breeze through it. It's the good life. But we know that's not true. We know from the Scriptures and the precedent that was given to us all throughout the epistles and the early church is that being a Christian is a guaranteed life of hardship. It's a guaranteed life of difficulties. And this isn't to obviously discourage anyone from being a Christian, but this is to be faithful to what the Scriptures present to us. That we have to understand what we are getting into when we go to follow Christ. Point four. A disciple of Christ is someone who is willing to give up everything. In Luke 14 verse 33. Which is the key to this whole thing. This scripture might seem the most negative. But actually it brings the most peace and encouragement. And we'll see why. So likewise, whoever you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. And different translations use different phrases to translate this. NIV translates this as those of you who do not give up everything you have. The English Standard Version says "any one of you who does not renounce all that he has the New English translation, the Net Bible says, in the same way, therefore, not one of you can be my disciple if he does not renounce all his own possessions. And I think the sentiment fits well with other things that Jesus says about not having treasures on this earth, but building our treasures in heaven. You know, there's many things that we can sometimes cling to that can prevent us to following after Christ. It might be material or or, or money. It could be Cherished sins. Things that we want to kind of sweep under the rug and and maybe think that they're not that big of a deal. Or just, you know, participate in them and just kind of ignore it. Maybe it's spiritual idols. I mean, all of us in this country and, and in this world can be tempted to have spiritual idols. Things that we put too much value in. Things that we put too much emphasis on. And of course, we have to have a word of caution here because there's obviously Jesus is not saying that to follow Him we cannot own anything, that we cannot have a house to live in or we can't have a car to drive or we can't have clothes to wear. That would make no sense at all. But what is obviously being said is that we must be willing to give up anything at any time for God. Whether this be something that is hindering us for... From following Christ or something else. And we can just consider the apostles themselves, what they gave up. You know, we, we know that John, James, Andrew, and Peter, the, the fishermen. The fishermen who, who were approached by Jesus and said, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And they laid their nets down and started following Jesus. They gave up that business, that that, that focus that they had on their business to follow after Jesus in a very special plan that he had for them. The Apostle Paul gave up the Pharisee lifestyle and the privileges to be a follower of Christ. If you read in history, this was a very privileged lifestyle. Very highly esteemed by the majority of people in first century Judaism. Looked at as... You know, uh, obviously as scholars, people who were authorities in the word of God. And Paul gave that up. Paul gave that up to follow after Christ. Matthew, or also known in the scriptures as Levi, a tax collector. And we know that the contemporaries of Jesus didn't have the greatest of things to say about tax collectors because of the profiting that they, they were able to get from receiving the taxes from the people. We see that Jesus, or not Jesus, but Matthew or Levi, gave up being a tax collector to follow Christ. And this brings us to our interesting point. Abraham, we're looking at him, we saw what he gave up. We saw that he gave up everything that he had. He gave up the things that was familiar to him, He gave up the things that he knew was safe and secure to follow after what God's voice was telling him to do. Literally, Jesus is saying that a disciple does not value possessions over their role as a disciple. Whether this is a physical or spiritual, rather a disciple treasures heavenly treasures. And we've seen this in the scriptures and I've given a message over this same topic in the past. But something else that we must remember in connection to what we are giving up to follow after Christ is this. The scripture says this about us who follow Christ, who have been you know, who's accepted that sacrifice. The scriptures in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 and 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. If we don't even own ourselves, then we obviously can't own anything. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus is saying that when you become a follower of me, you come to the realization that everything that you own is mine now. And you are now stewards of those possessions that you have. Everything, everything that you own now, you are to use to glorify me. You are to use to promote my mission, my plan for you. And here's the last part. The whole point of following after Christ is realizing when we give up everything, we never even had anything to offer. None of us have anything to offer God in the sense that's worthy of salvation or worthy of anything. All we have to give Him is our life. And when we do that, as Christ says, giving up everything that we have, we come to the realization that we have to rely on Christ. That we have to rely on Him. All the money, all the possessions in the world are nothing to God. But when we become disciples of Christ, we leave everything behind to realize that He is the only one that can provide us, provide for us. In closing, and looking at this, I want us to look at these scriptures in hope and encouragement. As well as a challenge, we have to consider the cost, the cost that Christ presents and being a true follower of Him. We have to realize that the cost is exchanging ourselves from being the Lord of our own lives in exchange for Jesus being the Lord of our lives. We also have to realize that Christ desires a purposeful disciple. Someone who purposefully comes to follow Him. Not superficially. Not just because, hey, everyone else is doing it but because there is a pur- there's intent, there is a deliberateness in following after Christ. We have to also come to realize that we have nothing. Jesus wants his followers to realize they have nothing in themselves. To realize that following him means that we renounce all of the things that we may rely on in this life. And we come to realize that we have to rely on him to sustain us. We must realize that we do not have the means or the ability to follow Christ. Only Christ Himself does. We must realize that He is the one who will supply the means to follow Him. Of course, this means through the Holy Spirit. This means in growing in grace and knowledge of Christ. This means in understanding that only through Christ... Can we be sustained in following Him after what He has required and what He has set, the path that He has set for us? And the last thing we have to remember is no matter what we go through in this life, nothing compares to what Christ went, for, went through for me and you.